Thank you, Ken and Barbara, for our music tonight. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. This is our last Sunday night service of the year, and it's Christmas season, and so we have been uh, going over passages of Scripture that remind us of that. We'll take a little bit of a departure from that tonight because I want to talk to you really about how we enter the new year and what attitude we should have to it. My text tonight is in Genesis chapter 8, so if uh, you can turn there, if you have a bulletin, you have uh, a part of an outline, or if you're watching on the screen, uh, you see the outline also there. Genesis chapter 8 ends with a beautiful verse. Let me give, give you verse 22 here for, first as we start out. Genesis 8:22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and winter and summer, and day and night, what does God say? Shall not cease. Go back with me to chapter 1. So you know Genesis chapter 1. And let me read you a few verses there just to remind us, uh, refresh in our minds, how it all started. Genesis 1 and the first five verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now I want you to skip down to verse 14, and let me read day four to you. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights. Let me stop and put a footnote in here. He created light on day one. He created light holders on day four. An interesting thing, isn't it? That the light was shining and coming before there was a sun, moon, and stars. And then God created the light holders. That's what verse 14 is talking about. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for, notice, signs and seasons for days and years. Those are words as in our text. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. We know what those are, the sun and the moon. He made the stars also of all, of all the galaxies and all the trillions of stars that are out there. And as broad as they go, the writer of Genesis, Moses, just says, he made the stars too. Just and the stars were there. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. The evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now we come back to Genesis chapter 8 to our text. But let me say a few things about Genesis that you and I believe we do here in this church. First of all, we believe in an early earth, as it's typically called. And that is that our earth isn't nearly as old as evolution uh, says it would be in the uh, billions of years old. As a matter of fact, we put the earth at somewhere between 6,000 years old and at the latest 10,000 years old. 
according to the genealogies and the history that we have. We also believe that God created the world in six literal days. So those days that we were reading in Genesis 1 were 24-hour days, and God was doing these things on those days. Six days, he worked to create the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. But those were 24-hour days. And so what he created was instantaneous. In other words, when he spoke, it came into existence. Whether that's the land, whether it's the planets, whether it's the animals and all of that. And evidently created all of those things with the appearance of age. In other words, they didn't have to gradually come to that. When he made them, that's the way they appeared. We also believe that the Bible's inspired all the way back to Genesis. And we know that the Bible writers, in this case it was Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible, we know that God inspired these writers to give us correct information, that the Bible is true, that what God says, and we can, we can say this is what God says, not just what Moses says, because it's given by inspiration of God. And therefore, that, that uh, guarantees the accuracy of these things. Now, I know that in our day, there's quite an attack upon the Scripture and upon these things and the creation of the world the way the Bible says. But uh, you and I, as those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore believe in the God, uh, God as Creator, we believe what He says. And we also believe that science has proved that out over the years. Let me also then give you an overall picture of what has happened in Earth's history, just real quick. If you start with a line up here and call that creation, on the first six days, God created everything, and it was good. As a matter of fact, he gets to the end of the, of the six days, and he said he saw all that it was good, or all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Then sin comes into the world, and so you go down like this to a line down here. And we're on that line down here, that is, sin has entered into the world. It's a broken world. It's a sinful world. It's a tragic world, uh, and so we have that during this time. Jesus Christ will come back and take that world back up to that line where it used to be, and he will reign on the earth for a thousand years. And so that time is still in our future, but it is coming. And then you can kind of cut that off, and beyond that, put the new heavens and the new earth where we will dwell with God forever in that new heaven and new earth. And so the earth is created the way God wanted it. Sin brought it down to here. Jesus Christ will bring it back up to the kingdom of God for a thousand years, and then we will go on into eternity. Now, my message tonight is not a message about creation versus evolution. Uh, we need that, and there are good men that do it, and we've done it here before, but rather... I want to talk to us about how we approach the year in which we live, the time in which we live, and as the new year is coming up, and why we should have confidence in what the Bible says about what even our future is and about what happens in the world today. Society that we live in no longer believes in God or the Bible. And the problem is that uh, what we're reading here, they don't see as accurate information. They don't believe in it. I, I met a fine young man this week, a, a businessman, uh, through some things I was doing. And uh, just as a, a young man in our world, he basically, when I talked to him a little bit, 
he, he just had to use the word agnostic. He just said, you know, I, I believe in God, but I'm an agnostic. And that, that has been a word that has been used by this generation for a long time. In other words, I'm just saying we can't know anything. We can't really know what's going to happen. That's what agnostic means, the word gnostic and the, word, and the A in front of it. So this generation and this society and this culture that we live in has replaced a view of God with a humanistic worldview. In other words, we're kind of the masters of our own fate. What we do is what's going to happen to the world. As the Bible calls it, we're worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator. We're serving this earth and we're serving ourselves more than we have a belief in God. And though I, I don't want to talk too much about just cultural things, but environmentalism, global warming, climate change, these kinds of things scare everybody. And uh, the world is at a place where we, you know, in the pandemics and whether we're all going to die of, of that, a nuclear holocaust, fossil fuel and greenhouse gases and, and those cows out in the field, you know, they're, they're hurting us. They're all doing this to us. What, you know, we have elected officials in the highest offices of the land who have told us the earth only has 12 years to go. I mean, this is the kind of scare uh, that people live under today. And imagine if you didn't know that there's a God. You didn't have your Bible. You didn't believe in these things. What these kinds of, of words would mean to you, it would scare you. And I think that's where a lot of people are. So we're reading some verses in God's Word that just say it differently than that and give us confidence in what God has done and where we are going. So I want you to look back here at Genesis chapter 8. And actually, verses 20 through 22, and again, follow on the outline. I, I want you to notice that in verse 21, there is a reference to man's evil heart. And so, Noah makes a, an offering to God. God accepts it. He, verse 21 says, The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now we have to understand that, that man has fallen into sin. That's why people do bad things. That's why we have uh, the problems in this world that we have. Look back at chapter five or chapter six, verse five, just uh, back to your left a page. When, when God looks down from the earth or, or from heaven, and he looks to the earth, and he's going to basically flood the world and start again. Why is that? Verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If you want a description of what your sinful heart is, there's a description of it. Every imagination is evil continually. I've heard someone describe that term, the imagination of our heart, as, you know, everything is kind of still, and when you see something that triggers that sinful nature in you, it begins to turn. 
It, that imagination begins to turn. I remember often taking my kids to those carousels, you know, that they might have like nowadays they're in a mall or somewhere inside. And here's this big round thing and lots of people get on it and it's sitting very still and they get everybody strapped on and all that. And then somebody goes over and either hits a button or pushes a crank forward and that big thing, you just see it just start to move around, right? And then it picks up speed and goes. That's the imagination of the thoughts of our heart. We're sitting there with that power to deceive, and we see something, we hear something, something comes into our mind, and that evil thought begins to turn like that and just keeps faster and faster. And so we have to understand, and God puts it in his word here, that man's heart is evil. That's why we need to be saved. That's why we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, God can change us. God can forgive us of our sins. God can put us on the right path. And we can walk in this world not as perfect creatures, but as saved individuals with the Holy Spirit in our hearts that works with us to do His will. Now, there is a curse upon the earth, too, you have to understand at this time. Back to chapter 3. And verse 17, here is where Adam and Eve have sinned, and he bring, God brings the serpent, that is Satan, of course, and Adam and Eve before himself, and he's pronouncing judgments upon them. In verse 17, after, by the way, he's talked to the serpent and he's talked to the woman, now he talks to Adam and he says, "'Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it.'" Notice, "'Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you.'" And you shall eat of the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For dust you are, to dust you shall return. And so why does even this earth have things that, why, why do we have uh, zero degree temperatures and ice storms in Missouri? Because of this. Why do we have tornadoes and hurricanes, and why do we have droughts and floods, and why do we have all of this uh, uh, going on on God's earth? Because man sinned, and God brought this curse upon it. And so it's because of man's sins that, that that happened. Now, at the same time, we're still just under point number one here, so hang on, that there were sacrifices made that God accepted. In other words, throughout time, God has said, I will accept your repentance, I will accept your offerings to me, and I will bless you because of it. Well, the first one happens in chapter 3 and verse 21, where you are right now. Oops, I'm not. I went back the wrong way, so let me go back. Chapter 3 and verse 21 says, Then the Lord God said, or um, I'm sorry, Verse 20, Adam called his wife's name Eve. She was the mother of all living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of what? Skins. Where did these skins come from? From the death of an animal. As God takes the life of an animal to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. And so the first sacrifice that is made 
the first covering for the sin that happened to human beings is made by God himself as he covered them up, uh, Adam and Eve himself. Now, we go on and we find that human beings also do this. As a matter of fact, Abel has those same sacrifices in chapter 4. So in verse 2, she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground uh, to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Why? Because an animal died and his blood was shed to cover sin. And God has respect to Abel's offering because that was the proper thing to do. Just as God had done it first, now Abel does it secondly. And as you go through these chapters that lead up to the flood, in chapter 4 and verse 26, you have a statement about the next son of Adam and Eve. As for Seth, to him also a son was born. He named him Enosh. And notice, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So now we see faith coming along with the sin and the offerings People are turning to God by faith. And by the way, um, in chapter 5, verse 7, there's an answer to a question I had even last week. Someone came to me and said, well, if these things are true, where did Cain get his wife? And where did everybody else get his wife? Well, what does chapter 5, verse 7 say? He begat Enosh. Seth lived 870 years and begat sons and daughters. And back up in verse 4, excuse me. Adam and Eve begat Seth. The days of Adam were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. In other words, the marrying within the family was not forbidden in those days because it was the only people on the earth. And the females married the males, as God created them to do, and they had children, as God created them to do. And by the way, it's the only way still today you can have children, by a male and a female. And so that's where the wives came from. And it's no big secret. It's right there in the text. All right. Then there's a man named Enoch in chapter 5 and verse 24, a beautiful verse that says, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Here's a man walking with God in these early days. And God takes him home by a miraculous means. Then we have Noah in chapter 5, verse 29. He called his name Noah. Who's his father? Methuselah is his father. The oldest man that ever lived died before his son <laughs> died. And that's Methuselah. And his son was named Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work, that is Noah will, and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And Noah has a big part in that. Now, in chapter 6 and verse 8, we find that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we go to chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And so I'm saying all this to say that man's sin created havoc in the world, and that's why we have it, and that's why we have bad things happening, even in the climate and on the earth and from the ground and diseases, and all of those things. And it requires propitiation. It requires sacrifice 
for us to be able to come back to God. So let me stop and say, what did I say this morning in the message about what Christmas is about? Redemption. All, Christmas is about the fact that God made a way back to him through the sacrifice of his son. And all of these things that are in the Old Testament are pictures of that sacrifice that was coming in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, I want us to go back to our text in chapter 8. And I want you to notice, secondly, instead of the evil of man's heart, to see the goodness of God's heart. So all the way back to verse 20, Noah built an, an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, the curse is going to continue, I have here. So let me read into verse 21. The Lord's God smelled this aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the earth for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And so verse 21 tells us that God is going to let the original curse continue, and he's not going to bring a new curse upon the earth after the flood. Now, I say that's from the goodness of God. He's saying here, I could have made a second curse. I could have said it again because of the sin that has happened and why I flooded the earth in the first place. But he says, no, I will not do it. I will leave it as it is, and things will grow again, and we will populate the earth again, and the animals will, will do it again, but I'll not curse again. Not again anymore. Neither will I do this. I'm going to leave it as it is. And I'm going to do it for man's sake, he says in this verse. For man's sake. Adam sinned, and because of the fall, I cursed the ground. In Noah's day, every imagination of the thought of their heart was evil continually, so I flooded it, but that's enough, he says. That's enough of a punishment for now. Aren't you glad that God didn't decide in those days to put a second curse upon the earth, a worse curse, so that we would live in, in even worse times? But let me say, I'll end this message tonight by saying God's judgment is still yet to come upon this earth. And that tribulation period, he will bring his judgments and his curses to the earth. But not now, he says. I'll not do it now. Now, another thing I want to point out is we have evidences all around that God has cursed the ground. And yet God leaves this earth in a beautiful situation. It produces for us. We're going to see we have the harvest seasons, the planting seasons, and the harvest seasons still. But all around we see the evidences of the curse. And what is that? It's that your garden is full of weeds. That's what it is. <laughs> you try to keep your garden up. You try to keep your grass looking uh, good, and it's got clover all over it. Why is that? Because uh, in the sweat of your face, you're going to grow thistles and thorns and all of that. And that's, the earth still has that, and we still see the curses of it all around. And not only that, but we see the evidences of God's curse and the flood all around as we uncover the fossil record. And so we can tell that God flooded the earth. We can tell it was worldwide. We can because of the fossils and because of the layers of the rock and because of those things that are hidden in the ground now, we can tell that God did it. And God did it by a flood. And it came 
quickly, and it fossilized things. It made coal, by the way, God's hidden blessing, I think, in the, in the uh, uh, curse of the flood. Uh, he gave us that coal and oil in the ground to have to use. All right, so the goodness of God's heart is seen in that, but something else here too, and that is there's a blessing pronounced. And that's what we have in verse 22 as we see these things happening. While the earth remains, I want to come back to that statement in a minute, but you understand what he's saying. He's created the world not that many generations later, a short genealogy from Adam to Noah. Then God, God floods the world and kills the the land animals, and all the human beings, and starts again. Why? Because God will not tolerate the kind of sin that they had going on before the flood. And you know what Jesus said? At the second coming of Christ, the world will be as it was in the days of Noah. And it will be that sinful again. And God will bring the tribulation period on it. But, he says, now that the flood is done... The ark has come to a, a stop, and it's on Mount Ararat. The water is going down, and the birds are flying again now, and the animals are ready to go off the ark. And so God says, as long as the earth remains, from now to then, this is the way it's going to be. And folks, we're in that time, you understand, right? We're in that time while the earth has, is remaining. So let me come back to that, but let me point out these things. There will be seed time and harvest. There will be cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, and those things shall not cease while the earth remains. Now, folks, what that is is a great promise to you and me that what our politicians and, and, and environmentalists and all are saying to us isn't going to happen. This is the way things will be. I have three things noted here. Uh, first is that we will have regular seasons. When we go back to chapter 1 again, we read in verse 14 about this very thing. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and days and years. We're going to have spring and summer and fall and winter, and we're going to have it until God decides to bring an end to it, and not when man decides to do it. Man can't stop that. It will happen. I'm, I, I, I love to get up in the morning and watch the sun rise. And you know what? It's never occurred to me that maybe it wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're standing there, you're watching your, the clock, and you're saying, okay, it's about time, and, and uh, here comes the sun every day. And even if it's a cloudy day and a rainy day, behind all of that is the sun is still shining and the moon's still up there right now, you know, that uh, waning moon at about a quarter uh, the size. And it'll be there every month and that sun will come up every day and the sun will go, we think it goes south. Actually, the earth will tip this way and then the earth will tip back this way and it looks like the sun's going south, but it's not. And... Uh, and as the earth tips and as the sun shines, we have winter at one end and we have hot summer at the other and those beautiful seasons of spring and fall in between. And it will be that way until God changes it is what is being said here. You can't change it. I can't change it. It won't happen. We're going to have summer and winter. 
Now, we can change time change. That's something, I, you know, if you, if you ask me, let's change that one and quit switching the clocks. But uh, man can't uh, change the sun and he can't change the earth. I often think, you know, we're, we're on a, a big Ferris wheel. Do you, do you like Ferris wheels? Uh, I used to like them when I was a kid. But you know how you, you come over the top of that big Ferris wheel and you come down the front, you know, and, and it seems like everything's kind of coming up as you're, you're actually going down. They're not, the lights aren't moving at all, but it looks like the lights are coming up and you're going down. That's, we're on this big Ferris wheel called the Earth. And it's rotating every 24 hours, and we're coming over the top, and it looks like the sun is coming up, but no, we're going down. And it looks like things are moving back across the sky, but they're staying the same, and we're rotating around like a big Ferris wheel. And it will do that until God changes it. So we not only have regular seasons, we have a balanced climate as well cold and heat and winter and summer. There's the winter and summer, the seasons. We're going to have the cold and heat. Now, I know you, you love for me to read things to you, and I've got a couple things to read from a man named Henry Morris, and I want to introduce him to you. I hope that you would go back and read a book that Henry Morris and John Whitcomb wrote in 1961 called The Genesis Flood. In our lifetime, scientists have challenged the evolutionary model and have said that's not necessarily true. And that's not what the fossil record shows. It's not what the, uh, the earth shows. Uh, it's not that way. The first book to really push creation science was in 1961 called The Genesis Flood, written by Henry Morris, primarily, and John Whitcomb. I, I never heard Henry Morris myself, but I've had quite a few uh, times to meet John Whitcomb because he was a guest speaker at our seminary up in, in uh, Iowa. He also, you might have, he was very much involved with the ARC project and so forth. But Henry Morris, I'm taking a little time here, the PhD from the University of Minnesota in hydraulics and hydrology. He wrote a book in 1972 called Applied Hydraulics in Engineering. You know those engineering types, they're, they're brainy types of guys. And it was in 1961 that he, as the scientist, along with John Whitcomb as the theologian, put themselves together and wrote The Genesis Flood. And it's been updated, uh, but uh, that is a great book. And if you don't have it or never read it, I advise you to even now. He, he basically, they basically say, it's the Genesis Flood that made the earth the way it is right now. And they said that first. Now, they created the Creation Research Society in 1963 and then the Institute for Creation Research, or ICR, in 1972. And it was a young man named Ken Ham who came from Australia and became a member of the ICR in the 80s and then broke off to his own uh, ministry uh, called AIG, Answers in Genesis. And they're the ones that built the ark where you can go see all of these things even now. So long introduction. But... Uh, I enjoyed these guys. John Whitcomb, very tall man, very uh, educated theologian. And I got to go to lunch with him and some other guys one time and with Dr. Myron Houghton. And we went to a, we went to a Mexican restaurant because Myron had to go to his Mexican restaurant. So we went there, and I was surprised sitting in the booth there with John Whitcomb that he talked to the waiter 
in Spanish and ordered everything in Spanish because he was fluent in these languages. It didn't bother him a bit. He just did it all in Spanish, and then we ate, had a good time. Henry Morris, though, says this. Listen to this paragraph. The earth's physical features had been vastly changed by the flood and its physical processes modified in various ways. The present hydrologic cycle was gradually established with the energy of the solar radiation serving up to draw up water by evaporation from the oceans, then move it inland by the winds, whence it can condense into clouds and fall to the ground as rain and snow, finally to run off through the rivers of groundwater channels back to the ocean again. This hydrologic cycle marvelously provides for the maintenance of life on the present earth in many different ways. In other words, God made it so that we have water and so we have air and so that we have seasons. Psalm 33, 7 says, He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. The water goes off to the ocean and where does it go? It goes back to the sky, comes back over the mountains, rains and snows again, runs back to the ocean again. The hydrologic cycle has been going on since God created it. He, Psalm 135, He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of His treasuries. And I love Ecclesiastes 1.7. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. <laughs> you ever think about that? How many thousands of years have the rivers been dumping water into the ocean? How come it doesn't go up? Uh, I don't know. You know, ask the Democrats. They have an answer for that somewhere. But anyway, all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place which the rivers come, they shall return again. So here is Solomon in 1000 B.C. telling us why the ocean isn't going to rise and it isn't going to flood us all. Uh, though Al Gore and the rest may not know that, uh, Solomon knew it in 1000 B.C. So we have this balanced climate that God made to cycle all through the hydraulic things and all through the sun, moon, and stars and all of that. And I say thirdly, the solar and planetary rotation, then we have this day and night. Now I'm going to read him one more time. The seasons, heat and cold, day and night, are now controlled primarily by the sun, which actually supplies all the energy for the Earth's physical processes. The Earth's orbital rotation, revolution about the sun, its axial rotation and inclination, we learn to lean this way and lean that way, and its marvelous atmosphere also help establish these constants of nature, which in turn control most other geological processes. Last sentence. Thus, the promised uniformity of the seasons. I say that again. The promised uniformity of the seasons and the daily cycle implies the essential uniformity of all other natural processes. God made it this way. He made it to last as long as the earth remains. And then notice the last phrase at verse 22, what is it? Shall not cease. 
It shall not cease until God makes it cease. It won't cease as long as the earth remains. This is the way it will be. You can't change it. In Isaiah, and, and let me say this before I read these prophets. The reason it cannot change is because God has prophesied other things. If prophecy will be true, then the, we can't do away with the earth. We can't destroy ourselves. We can't uh, do away with life on the earth because then God's word will not be true. But God has said it, and this is why it must happen. So Isaiah 54, verse 9, This is like the waters of Noah to me, God says. I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. So have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you, for the mountains shall depart, the hills uh, be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor my covenant of peace be removed, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 33, 20. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will, be not, uh, there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant would also be broken with David my servant. What is God saying? I've made covenants with David. I made covenants with Noah. And my covenant cannot be broken, therefore neither can the cycles of the earth, the day and the night. Those things cannot happen because I have a covenant that has to happen. Isn't that an amazing thing? I think it is. Now, I want you to do this little exercise with me in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 40, okay? So uh, turn to Isaiah 40, and we're going to read a few selected verses from Isaiah 40 just to kind of... Uh, see how powerful and, and how right God is. Isaiah 40 is a, a great chapter, the beginning of these great prophetic chapters from here to the end of the book. Verse 12, chapter 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span? I stop there and say, you see what, you see what Isaiah is saying here? As far as God's concerned, the heavens, I mean, we have a new telescope now that can't reach the back of, of the galaxies, right? God says it's in the span of my hand. All of the galaxies, all of the universe in my hand. I can measure it that way. And calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance, Verse 15, behold, the nations are a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the balance. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. I know I'm skipping through, but skip to verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Isaiah sure wasn't a flat earth person. He knew about the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out, speaking of God, stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. 
who brings out their host, that would be the stars, by number and calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. He knows every star and he has a name for every star. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. And so I'll read the last verse of the chapter. Maybe you've sung it in a song before. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, folks, that is God's promise to you, that you can trust in him, that he maintains this world, that these things are not going to happen until he says it's time. And if you will do that and wait on the Lord, then you'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. And that, I think, is the message of God to his believers in this age. Now, you notice on my notes, I had one more, one more thought that I want to insert here. And that is, as I've already indicated, an end is coming, but it's coming by God's prophetic word. And it will come when God says it's time to come. While the earth remains means there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so as long as this one remains until Jesus comes and these prophetic things happen, this is the way it will be. But we're on a time frame. We're on a time clock. And judgment day is coming. And so here are just some verses that you remember. In 2 Peter 3.10, for example, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. When? When God says so. Isaiah 66, 15, Behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh and the slain of the Lord will be many. We, th- we kind of think he's like a big Santa Claus in the sky, right? He doesn't care what we do and he'll laugh at it all and he- he'll-, he'll make it okay for everybody. No, God's going to come and judge this sin. And he will do it in his own time. And then Isaiah 65, 17, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. And so what does that mean? When he says the earth isn't going to remain, Jesus Christ will come. He will reign on this earth for a thousand years. And when that is done, he will make a new heaven and a new earth. Those that are not saved will be judged by God at the white throne judgment and cast into the lake of fire forever. But those who are saved and those who have believed then will live on a new heaven and a new earth forever as heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That time is coming and it will come in God's own time. So as I close, here are some statements from Scripture. How many times do you see the phrase, do not be afraid? Fear not, in other words. How many times you see, well, we see in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
Fret not yourself a pot tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring forth. And then Jesus himself said to us, I am the first and the last. I was here before the very beginning. I will be here after the very end. You can trust in me. He said to John on that Isle of Patmos, he said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And then he said, I have the keys of hell and of death. I have the keys of hell and death? And what I would say to you is, trust the one who has the keys. Trust the one who can open the door, and no man can shut it, and he can, he can shut it, and no man can open it. Trust him, because he's the first and the last, forever before and forever after. And God will keep us, and God will keep this world that we live in until it's his time to make a change. You can trust in that. All right, stand with me if you will. We will stand and we'll sing a song tonight, but let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask his blessing as we do it. Father, thank you for these words that you give us, these promises of this heaven and earth that we live in, the promises that uh, they are as good and secure as your promises to David, as your promises to Noah, and as your promises to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the confidence in the day in which we live. We, may we be witnesses and, and ambassadors and testimonies for the truth of God and his word. So comfort our hearts tonight. Bless as we think about these things. And as we sing this song, may you be glorified. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Kent, come ahead. <laughs> 